look back, the very best projects in the lab over the last nine years have been those that you've made an initial discovery, and then you've followed up on that discovery to find something new, and then you've brought in some other collaborators and it's opened up a new area. This kind of in-depth study instead of these kind of skimming and looking for different things where you publish one paper and then you drop the project. And so I'm really now focusing on, on trying to think while I'm putting the project together is, you know, how far along will this go and how in-depth do I want to take this? And will I still be interested in this five years from now? Welcome to Strategy for Scientists. This is a podcast for scientists interested in learning about the fundamentals of business strategy through stories. I'm Kevin Hartman at the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF. Today, we hear from Neil Alto. Neil is an associate professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Neil was just describing what he looks for in a new project. Neil shares with us the process he has gone through of building his lab, from setting the initial scientific direction to evaluating project viability and ensuring the success of each new graduate student who joins by sharing his philosophy of how to be a successful scientist. First, we hear about how Neil made the transition from a contributor in a lab to the head of a lab. I don't think I was given a lot of advice. You do kind of show up and you are in this environment where people now expect you to do something and you have nothing in your lab and you're like, okay, I've got to figure this out. Um, I do know some of the things that I feel like have made me successful. I really thought to myself, you know, if I can replicate what I did as a postdoc, I'm going to be fine. You know, and I think I was successful as a postdoc, but I said, okay, just myself and this technician, if I can do this all on my own without a student or postdoc or anybody and produce the papers, high impact science on my own, then I can, then I'll be fine. And that's the mindset I went into it with is that I'm the only one who's responsible for my success. I can bring in students and postdocs, but they are not at all responsible for my success. And so um, I would say our first um, five, six papers, I was heavily involved in, you know, as if they were my projects. The transition from postdoc to professor sounds pretty daunting. Neil made this transition easier on himself by remaining hands-on with the research. So Neil would actually be in the lab running experiments alongside his students and technicians because his lab didn't have that body of knowledge yet. But eventually, the core function as a head of a lab is to select what projects to pursue. Neil explains the origin of his lab's first project and how this got him through the transition. I had a certain technique that I was had done since a graduate student. I wanted to do some exploratory projects, some screening type of projects. It was really just, I'll do the experiment, and it'll be a bonus if it works. If not, it'll just be the method by which I get the lab up and going. But I just did the one experiment. It actually turns out the experiment worked, and it ended up being a couple projects in the lab. I would say we got it done in a month. And it was all because of just 100% focus on one thing. And I think that's a I mean, I think that's a really good lesson is the more you focus on one particular thing, the, the, the better they go. Neil made it through his first month through laser-like focus on relatively short-term objectives in an area where he already had expertise. As his lab has flourished and more people have joined, Neil picks projects to accommodate longer-term goals. 
but I'm starting a new project globally. So like, okay, here's an area of research we're interested in. I ask, I'm going to ask myself as we go along, is there enough here to do three papers on this project? Like, okay, initial discovery, then a mechanism, and then maybe some kind of in vivo kind of thing. And am I interested in enough in this project area to go that far, right? To spend that much time to, to go that in depth on it. And if the answer is no, I'm starting to think that I'm not going to go in those directions. Neil is looking at the potential gains of each project and comparing that to the investment required to get there. He is then prioritizing which projects to pursue. In a business context, this sort of analysis is referred to as return on investment or ROI. So how does Neil distinguish a project that would have a good return? I find when science is correct, it's, it's all just falls in place and experiments are very easy to predict what to do and they often work when you're on the right track. When you're really struggling with experiments, um, you know, you see it working a couple times and then not another time. Usually you're going in a wrong direction or at least there's a missing component and you need to figure out what that is. Neil is still focusing on areas of technical expertise. And a real strength comes from selecting topics where he can go into great depth. In order to achieve this depth, Neil has to staff his lab strategically. He brings together a unique breadth of competencies in one lab in order to tackle the entire scope of a project. Each person, while they're working independently, one might be, for example, working on a uh, particular cell biological process um, and the molecules involved in that. And then someone might be working on a structural biology portion of that molecular interaction. So I'll have a structural biologist working alongside a cell biologist and biochemist on a single project. So they can collaborate, but they're really working on different aspects of that model. And so I think a lot of times partitioning up your projects into, you know, these different kind of areas of depth that you'd be interested in is, I think, a really good way to do it becomes very productive and cost-effective as well, because a lot of the reagents will be shared between the two projects. We have heard how Neil considers the impact and scope of a project, but what role does risk play in his considerations? I ask the question whether I think it's a, an area that's there's really not a lot known in science. The less that's known, the, obviously, the more fruit there is, uh, but it's also the less than known, that's also higher risk in term for the for the postdocs or students that are that are working on the projects. And so you really have to weigh that. I talk to my postdocs or students, you know, what kind of risk do you want? Do you really want in your project? And certainly some people have different goals. Um, and I think depending on the different goals, the different uh, risk amounts that they're willing to take on. Um, I think those that have really want to go into academia generally will take riskier projects um, because they know if they break something open, something new, that that's something they'll be able to hopefully take along with them. If you're going to get into industry, you really, I mean, it's a different consideration. You really want to um, master a certain area of expertise, not only scientifically, but also technically to make you valuable for industry. And so then you might want to do a little bit different project. Um, but ultimately, the question is, the scientific question is, what's unknown and how do we solve the problem? 
When Neil evaluates whether to grow projects, his criteria include how much scientific potential they have, their risk, and how well they fit the needs of his trainees. Neil is looking all the way to his trainees' next steps and how certain projects would give them the experiences they will need to get there. Once the lab had multiple projects underway, Neil's role shifted to deciding where to allocate resources to make sure projects could succeed, and with that came assessing which projects were viable. I've always felt like my job is to get the money to do whatever is necessary to allow the people to move forward. I've found that if I run into budget problems, what I need to do is contract my projects. And so, because that means that we're not in, we're not viable anymore in that area. Usually that will correspond with somebody leaving the lab, like finding a job or something like that. And I'll have to ask, do I really want to pursue that line any farther? And because it's taking money, it takes resources, not only monetary resources, but intellectual resources as well. And so, yeah, usually um, in terms of the projects that I feel like are moving forward, um, there's, I don't find budget constraints because I'll try to cut out other projects in which they are. Neil mentioned the challenge of limited human resources in a lab, but he also had a rather unique approach to ensuring that each new member of the lab has the opportunity to contribute. So I have a, a document that I give them that, I, that I've outlined um, what I think it takes to be a successful scientist. You know, for example, like, you know, what does a successful scientist look like? What do they read? Well, you know, they read about their individual project, but they're probably also reading, picking up cell science, nature or other, you know, high profile ish journals and looking through those and looking at even the, the, the papers that are not in their field. I emphasize attitude in science. I mean, bench science is really challenging, you know, but ultimately it's the optimist that that ends up winning the day. You know, those that can really, you know, have the experiment fail or even the project fail. And then, you know, of course you're gonna be upset by that for a day or something, but the faster you recover from that and are like genuinely excited about the next, you know, aspect or next discovery or next project, you know, those are the ones that really, I feel like, you know, do the best. And so really trying to have an optimistic attitude about science um, I talk about collaboration, particularly within the lab. Um, for, new, for in this case, would be a new student. I ask them to actually help, usually a postdoc or another senior student with a particular part of their project to actually build goodwill and say, you know, this, you, you know, you can do these couple of experiments for them while you're trying to start your own project. And then when they get to be a senior person, they'll remember that. And that just builds the training aspect. You know, sometimes it builds cohesion in the lab as well, you know, where people know what's going on. Um, so, so that's, so collaboration with the lab, I'm really um, big on, and I think it helps the, the morale and, you know, keeps people talking. From his first days working alongside technicians and students at the bench, Neil has created a collaborative and teaching culture in his lab. This document takes that a step further in actively coaching his students on proactive learning, perseverance, and collaboration. Neil demonstrated very thoughtful project management in terms of positioning his lab in areas of growth, evaluating potential impact and risk, and monitoring the progress and viability of projects. We thank Neil for sharing his experiences building a new lab Thank you for listening to Strategy for Scientists. If you're interested in learning more, 
Check out the online lectures co-produced by iBiology and the UCSF Office of Career and Professional Development. We would like to thank the Burroughs Welcome Fund and the NIH National Institute of General Medical Sciences, NIGMS, for grant funding. Thanks also to the PRX Podcast Garage for studio space and helping us get started with this production. Tune in here for more stories about scientists using strategy.